It's that time of year when veterinarians sometimes get calls about cows that were confirmed pregnant and they're now open or losing their calves. It's a sinking feeling and a frustrating situation for the producer and can obviously cause a major economic loss. Let's learn what you can do to prevent it from occurring and the challenges about diagnosing and intervening herds experiencing fetal losses. Hello and welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast, Episode 11. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. This week, my guest is Dr. Trent Wenekamp, who's a veterinarian at Lloydminster Animal Hospital. Dr. Wenekamp also serves on the board of Prairie Diagnostic Services, our veterinary diagnostic lab here in Saskatchewan, and so he has insights into both the clinical and the diagnostic issues associated with this topic. Let's get started. Hi, Trent. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, John. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, so maybe we could start by having you tell the audience a little bit about your background and where you work. Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, so my name is Trent Winnicamp. I'm a veterinarian. Uh, I graduated from Western College of Veterinary Medicine in 2001, so I've been out for a little over 20 years. Um, I work uh, primarily in uh, beef cattle, mainly cow-calf practice out of Lloydminster, Alberta. Uh, and Saskatchewan, where you're kind of on the border, so we do both sides. Um, my other background is I also have my master's in large animal uh, clinical sciences that John was my advisor, and I completed that in 2020. So, um, yeah, that's my background. Great. And you got uh, lots of uh, young boys to take care of, and it's the middle of hockey season, so I'm sure you're busy these days. Yeah, we have four boys that play hockey, which is Pretty crazy. I get to about a third of the games on a good weekend, but trying to get around as much as I can. It's tough, tough to get to all four at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's impossible. <laughs> well, today our topic of discussion is the challenge of dealing with fetal losses in a cow-calf herd, so an abortion outbreak. And there's probably nothing more frustrating to deal with uh, in a cow-calf herd uh, when they're experiencing fetal losses. It's obviously a major economic loss. But what else makes these outbreaks frustrating to deal with as a veterinarian? Yeah, they are probably one of our most challenging things to to run across. Um, I, I think it's probably helpful sometimes to look at it in a couple of different stages. So um, first trimester, you know, a lot of times those are getting picked up at preg check time. So, you know, there's a higher than normal open rate. Um, and of course the challenge there is that whatever caused that problem, you know, probably happened months before you get on the farm, um, likely during breeding season. So, you know, that's always a challenge, you know, what has nutritional status changed or, um, you know, what was the, were the bulls semen tested, you know, was there potentially some venereal diseases, were they on community pastures, you know, all those factors. So that's, that's kind of the, the first one that we run into. And then, the other one that's also challenging is, you know, you get kind of the more classic sort of abortion storm or where you're getting a whole uh, bunch of dead fetuses. And that's usually later on in pregnancy, kind of, you know, second and third trimester. And the major problem there is, of course, stopping the, the abortions generally is very difficult, if not impossible, because whatever is causing them happened a while ago. Um, and so in many cases, our goal is to figure out what's going on to prevent it for the future. You know, stopping it at the time can sometimes be 
a goal that's not really possible to achieve. And then the last thing is that <clears throat> getting a diagnosis is often not that easy. Um, there's lots of challenges to that that I think we'll talk about more later, but um, many times we don't get a, a firm diagnosis as to what the problem was. So um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of challenging aspects to, to these abortion outbreaks. There's always a small amount of fetal loss in a cow-calf herd, so we'd expect some just uh, from sort of normal attrition that the odd cow is going to lose a calf. What would we expect as normal level of, of fetal loss, and when do we start to get concerned that there might be a problem? Yeah, I, probably lots of different vets have different sort of opinions and what they're, you know, when you see different published numbers. Um I guess for me, typically, when you know when you hit that one percent level, you probably start to get a little bit, you know, start to look at it and think about it a little bit. Once you cross that two percent threshold, probably that's when it's time to uh, to really start digging into things. So, you know, if you have like three hundred cows and let's say you've had two or three abortions, that's that's the time when you're probably going to say, okay, this is maybe a bit more unusual and you maybe wouldn't start to do a, a pilot diagnostics at that point, but you might start to save some fetuses in case you want to do diagnostics in the future. Um, you'd probably just start to observe things more closely and be more careful. And then, you know, if you got say, you know, five and six out of 300, then probably at that stage, you're, you're guessing that, okay, there's something more serious going on here and we need to investigate it more thoroughly and start to send away fetuses and, and, uh, and start to be on top of things. So that's, for me, that's kind of the threshold, probably two, if you go above 2%, you probably start to think that there's something going on here. Cause the other thing is it's that tip of the iceberg is that many producers, you know, you know, it's hard to tell, right? You, you probably haven't seen every single abortion. Um, you know, there's likely ones that have been scavenged or lost early. And, and so, you know, you have to kind of be aware, um, I often think of this one producer when I think of these numbers and he had a large herd of like 1200 cows and um, he was complaining to me one spring because, you know, we'd, we'd preg checked back in November and he was calving in May and, and he said every year, you know, you guys preg check and we have, you know, um, 10 or 12 cows open at, at, at calving time. And, you know, he's complaining that, you know, thinking we probably had, you know, made a mistake that some we'd called, you know, pregnant were actually open and, but, you know, 10 or 12 opens out of 1,200 cows is probably about the correct number, you know, that's right. probably what aborted, you know, and that was just sort of probably that baseline number that he was experiencing. So Yes, yeah, and I just spoke with a vet this week who had a small group of heifers that, that uh, were all diagnosed pregnant, and then uh, about half of them were... Uh, half of them were found open when they went to a sale and uh, um, they had lost their pregnancies. So, so exactly the opposite were pretty, pretty high, high rate of loss. Uh, uh, so if, if my herd was getting over the threshold, what actions would a producer take? Obviously they're going to call their vet, but what, what's the vet going to want to do? Yeah. So I think that's where it is helpful if, you know, the producer is kind of um, on top of this early. Um, like I say, you know, if you start to get, um, you know, the odd abortion, I probably wouldn't just, you know, dispose of them. Um, ideally, you would probably try to save those. Um, the samples aren't quite as good if they're frozen, but they still can have some diagnostic value. So, 
you know, if you start getting one or two abortions, it's probably best to try to freeze them somewhere where they can't be scavenged, like in a snowbank, um, to try to save them for later. And then um, once you start getting more, then, you know, the veterinarian will want to start testing. And they'll probably move back to those ones that you've already frozen. And then obviously the any new cases, they will definitely want to do testing on that. So um, <clears throat> generally involves sending samples off to the lab. Um, the vet can either send the entire fetus off uh, or also, um, especially if they're longer distance away from the lab, they might just send portions that they take for sampling and both can be quite valuable. Um, the lab has a number of different tests that they can run on them. Um, another thing that is important to remember is that placenta is probably your most helpful diagnostic tool and of course that's not on the fetus. Um, and so um, you have to uh, try and get a sample sometimes from the cow in that situation, especially if she's retained the placenta. Um, another thing you might want to do is just separate the cows, the ones that are aborting from the ones that haven't aborted yet. Um, may not be helpful, like I said, it's happened a while ago, but at the time you don't really know that, so it's probably wise to, uh, to do that. Um, and then, you know, there's also other tests that can be run on the cows as well. So, um, you know, you can do, and we'll talk about that, I think, more later, but there is more tests that you can run on the cows too, so that's probably something to consider as well. Right. And, and obviously it's always a challenge to get those samples um, fresh. Uh, often they're scavenged or, or things like that. So uh, it is great if you can, if you do find a fetus to probably save it and put it in the freezer or put it in a cold barn someplace where it's not going to thaw out and, and keep it just in case we do need it. Uh, one of your side jobs or other responsibilities, Trent, you, uh, you actually serve on the board of our Prairie Diagnostic Services Lab. So that's uh, that's our sort of regional lab for for Saskatchewan and some other parts of Western Canada. And so when they send that fetus into the diagnostic lab, they're going to go through a detailed examination of those tissues and probably do a variety of diagnostic tests for different infectious diseases. But we don't always get a diagnosis, unfortunately. So what percentage of cases are successfully diagnosed? And I think this is across all labs, not just PDS. Yeah. PDS is a very good lab. Um, I think probably anybody that has used them or, you know, has experienced with other labs would say they do a really good job. So I think their success rate would be as good as anybody's. Um, I, I, one study I ran across, I think, and maybe you've seen different numbers, and you see different numbers, but I know they had done a study a few years ago where they just kind of took in like a couple hundred calves that were submitted free of charge to do diagnostics. And I think they only, they, I don't even think they quite hit 30% on those. It was about 28%. So um, so that is quite low. Um, obviously, as you submit more tissues, the diagnostic success goes up. Um you know, especially if you run more tests and if you get placenta and things like that, you can definitely improve that. But yeah, um, and the number of fetuses, one fetus may not be, you know, very, you know, representative of the problem. Whereas if you can get three or four, then sometimes that can be much more helpful. So different things affect that. But yeah, it's often, unfortunately, quite, quite low um, in terms of diagnostic success. 
Right. So the importance of trying to have more than one calf submitted, if if there are several there to get, then that's going to improve the likelihood of a diagnosis. What other you mentioned some other diagnostic tests. So what else might the veterinarian consider doing uh, when they're investigating one of these problems? Yeah. So there's a lot of different things that they can do. Um, probably one that's commonly done is some blood tests on the cows. So that's fairly easy to do. Um, you can take some samples from, you know, a number of different cows, say, you know, eight or 10 cows, and you can run different tests on that, particularly looking for um, what we call serology, where they're basically just seeing if they've responded to an infection over the last, you know, couple of weeks. And that, you know, that can tell you, okay, if, they, if their, um, you know, levels of response to that disease has really risen, then that's probably the, the agent that was causing the problem. Um, as well, of course, you can, there's, you know, you can run vitamin mineral levels on, on that blood and same thing on those cows. So, so, uh, that can be very helpful, you know, in figuring out what can be done. Feed testing is another one. Um, you know, there can be mycotoxins in the feed, nitrates, ergot, uh, you know, toxins like that. And then just general levels like vitamin, um, and mineral deficiencies can be implicated as well. So, the, the feed, um, you know, can be a really helpful thing to find different, uh, different diagnoses out of. So what are some of the common causes of abortion in beef cows that we see in Canada? What, what sort of categories would we see, first of all? Yeah, when I'm generally when I think about it, I try to sort of think about it by trimester. Um, I find that sort of um, helpful in trying to make that diagnosis. So um, there's certain, um, certain abortions are more likely to occur at different stages in the pregnancy. So, um, uh, that's a very significant, you know, way to kind of look at it. And then the other part that you need to look at is whether it's an infectious cause or a non-infectious cause. So infectious would be things like bacteria and fungi and, and viruses and parasites that can spread. And then non-infectious would be things like nutritional causes, um, or other toxins. So, when we look at the first trimester, you know, we're often thinking about um, venereal diseases, things like um, trichomoniasis or campylobacteriosis, those types of diseases that are, you know, venereal in nature and can spread from the bull. Um, you know, and oftentimes, like I said earlier, you're just finding open cows. It's not, you're not actually seeing any fetuses because they're usually reabsorbed. Um, and so it's just open cows that you're finding. So those are kind of the, the, some of the infectious ones that we see early on. Um, second trimester, um, you know, there's, you know, a couple of different infectious things that can cause it there. One that we still see quite commonly is IBR. Um, even though there is, you know, good vaccines for that, um, we still see that actually fairly commonly. Um, and so that's one to definitely keep in mind. Um, Neospora is another one. So that's a parasite that can be spread by dogs or coyotes. And, um, and it can definitely be implicated in abortions. It tends to be a bit more significant maybe on the dairy side, but definitely something that we do see um, in cattle, uh, beef cattle as well. And um, BVD, like bovine viral diarrhea virus, can also be kind of an infectious one at that stage. Um, and then um, they can just be nonspecific bacterial infections as well that cause like a, a blood infection, um, infection in the bloodstream. And then third trimester, sometimes we can see more like your vitamin and mineral deficiencies can be causing some issues there. Um, 
And also another thing we can see that's more um, infectious in nature is a placentitis or, or inflammation or infection of the placenta. And that's why submitting that placenta is so important um, because there can be bacteria or funguses that can possibly be coming um, from the feed um, that can be part of the issue there. So um, there's, you know, that placenta is really significant in trying to make that diagnosis. And then the last one that, you know, you have to keep in mind is the toxins. And those really can probably happen really at any stage. There's probably certain stages when they're a bit more likely, but more so it tends to happen in relation to when they're exposed to toxins. So things like ergot and mycotoxins, um, you know, or nitrates, uh, you know, when that exposure happens, you can start to see um, some of the abortions after that. So a lot of the vaccines we use in our cow herd are really there to protect the fetus and to protect uh, fetal losses from occurring. So what are some of those vaccines that we might include if we're trying to uh, deal with um, preventing fetal loss? Yeah. So, yeah, that's like the main, the most commonly used vaccine in, in cows is kind of your what people would use to call like a four-way or a five-way which basically has IVR and uh, usually nowadays they all have two types of EVD so type one type two and so those are all causes of, of abortion right that's that's kind of the the main reason why we give those in many cases um, there's also BRSV which is more of a viral infection and PI3 um, but the thing to always keep in mind there is is and maybe some of the thinking on this has changed more recently, but um, we always sort of wanted to give those at the time when they were most likely to give benefits. So um, generally speaking, you know, we try to use live vaccines. Um, they seem to reduce a better immune response. And so we, you know, we would want to give those before breeding. So those are pre-breeding back vaccines. And years ago, they would even have names like breed back and stuff like they actually were, you know, designed to be given right at that stage so not at the time of breeding but a few weeks before um, can be really good timing to prevent those fetal losses right and and those modified live vaccines they can actually cause fetal loss if we give them to the wrong cows at the wrong time yeah for sure there's been even research i've seen lately like some of the um, guys that do embryo transfer are a bit more cautious with the live vaccines just because early on they seem to cause a bit more fetal loss. Um, but you do hear the horror stories and I've, I've um, even seen them around our area where, you know, you get a group of, of naive heifers is usually the situation they run into. So they've never had a vaccine before and they're pregnant. And if you give them particularly a vaccine with IBR seems to be the main, the main problem. If you give them a, like a, a live IBR vaccine while they're pregnant, it can abort them pretty much as effectively as an as a abortion drug. You know, it it'll. It, I've heard stories of you know twenty eight out of thirty or you know just about fully aborting the whole group. So you do have to be really cautious with those live vaccines and make sure that um, when you're using them, you're following the label directions very carefully. Right. It's super important to make sure you know the label and make sure you know what cattle have got which vaccines some of the vaccines those modified live vaccines do have a label that says you can give them to pregnant cows but they have to have been vaccinated with that same vaccine same brand uh, in a previous year so uh, you certainly can't give it to 
what you term naive animals, animals that hadn't been vaccinated, that that would be a disaster usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Alberta, they uh, I can't, I'm not sure if this is the case in Saskatchewan, but modified live vaccines are treated very similar to like a a prescription medication, like an antibiotic, and so they they can only be dispensed by a veterinarian, and so you have to you know it's probably wise because it's you know you really should be giving those medications on the advice of your veterinarian and making sure that you know you're giving them with the correct timing and 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 correct administration as well so obviously we want to prevent abortions from occurring in the first place and hopefully uh, producers don't have to deal with these kind of wrecks Um, what can they do to reduce the risk um yeah so a lot of the the most important things that we look at are um, are just sort of the basic herd health things, um, you know, and and it's you know it's not rocket science sort of stuff in many cases. It's just a matter of probably following a lot of the recommendations that your veterinarian is giving you, and and making sure that your herd health status is is really good. So. Um, you know, and if you do those things, you know, the, the chance of you having a, a real outbreak is probably unlikely. So um, that would be my first recommendation is, you know, talk to your veterinarian and make sure that you're following their recommendations. So as we already brought up, the vaccines are a big factor on that. You need to give the vaccine, the correct vaccine at the correct time with the proper administration. Um, and, you know, uh, oftentimes we like to give those live vaccines prior to breeding um, to prevent those problems. And that can be um, really helpful um, in those cases. Biosecurity is another thing to keep in mind. So, you know, um, keep, make sure you know where those cattle are coming from. You know, uh, ideally they would come from another herd that has a similar um, health status as your herd, where they're, you know, you're not bringing in animals. Um, Like I was talking about those naive heifers that haven't seen a vaccine before. Um, You know, you want, uh, animals that have ha- been vaccinated and you know their health status is good. Um, bulls, obviously, purchased bulls can bring in venereal diseases like um, trichomoniasis and campylobacter. So you really want to make sure that you know, you know, the, the background of those animals. Um, and then, you know, making sure that you're not introducing a disease like BBD where you can bring in um, calves that are persistently infected um, that can infect a large number of, of animals in your herd. Um, you know, if you if you know that herd you're buying from has a really good vaccine program, then you're probably avoiding a lot of those problems. And then finally, you know, um, feed testing is a big one uh, that we always recommend, making sure your feed is tested and that you're getting the um, correct amount of protein and energy and that you're also making sure that the trace uh, minerals and vitamins are at the correct levels. And, um, you know, doing that can really make a big difference in terms of preventing some abortions. Um, so, yeah, it's not really uh, complicated stuff. It's, it's a lot of basic stuff. But doing those things, you're probably avoiding, you know, 95% of the abortion cases just by doing those basics. Right. And, and you did some work on biosecurity as part of your master's project, and you really showed that minimizing the number of purchases uh, helped to reduce sort of disease outbreaks and herds. I'm sure it would, we didn't look at abortion in particular, but I'm sure it would stand to reason that that would uh, 
uh, still be true for that as well. Mm-hmm. And and knowing the sources of of where you buy those cattle, obviously everybody buys bulls or buys cows occasionally or heifers, but um, knowing the sources and making sure they come from a vaccinated herd, pretty mm-hmm. important. Yeah, most of your problems are going to be ones that you've purchased in in many cases. So being aware of that and and being on top of that. Um, we definitely also saw, so that aspect of biosecurity is a big one, buying, and then also the community pastures was another thing that, um, you know, definitely was a risk factor. So a lot of that's been improved over the years with testing for trichomoniasis and also some of the other testing programs and making sure that we're not bringing those problems in, but just the, the better you can do with biosecurity and reducing your exposure, you're definitely going to prevent a lot of these problems. Right. And if you used a community pasture, that might be a situation where the veterinarian might add some additional things to your vaccine protocol, like Campylobacter or things like that, that might not be required if you had a more of a closed herd. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's so many, uh, yeah, it can get quite complex. That's again, where you want to talk to your vet, but you can, there's vaccines for Campylobacter, also leptospirosis, which could cause, um, uh, abortions not something we see very commonly but it certainly is out there as well so and some areas are going to be more at risk of that than other areas so um, your veterinarian would be aware of you know what your particular needs would be and could uh, tailor that program to be uh, most effective thanks Trent for uh, doing this uh, today with me it was great and uh, I think we'll wrap it up there uh, really appreciate you taking time and doing the podcast with me Yeah, great. Thanks, John. I'm really enjoying your podcast. I've been listening to them and they've been really informative and and they've been great. So thanks for doing it. Okay. Thank you. That's our show for this week. I want to thank each of you for listening to the podcast. And thanks again to my guest, Dr. Trent Wenekamp from Lloydminster Animal Hospital. Thank you as well to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email us at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. Take care till next time.